turn your Bibles this morning to 1 Peter chapter 3. The text for the sermon is found in 1 Peter 3, verse 7. Now, to read in the context, what we're going to do is go back to chapter 2, though, and we will begin reading at verse 13, and then we will read through our text in chapter 3, verse 7. So we're starting our reading in, second, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13. Listen to the word of God. It is the Apostle Peter who is writing this, but remember he is inspired by the Holy Spirit so that what he writes is the very word of the living God. Peter writes, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if, when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the wearing of gold, or the putting on of clothing, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. And then we come to our text. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. 
Now, isn't it interesting here that the Apostle Peter spends six verses talking to you wives? Isn't that interesting? Six verses on the wives and only one verse for the husband. Well, you ladies might be a little relieved this morning that I'm not preaching what God's Word says to you here, and, and then we would have to, in a searching way, look into the issue of whether you are, for example, showing the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. And we'd have to ask the question, you know, if your husband graded you for this past week, how would he grade you? Instead, we're looking at the one verse that the Apostle Peter directs towards you husbands. Now, kids, don't think that you should just not listen to the sermon this morning because it is directed towards your dads. But guess what? You kids have a, have a calling here, too. For example, you know, let's say your dad is not treating your mom as a weaker vessel and your dad is not being nice to your mom. Do you have a calling there? You sure do. I've had it where my kids had to say to me, Dad, stop arguing with Mom. And that's what you might have to do, too. Kids, sometimes you need to hold your dad accountable and say, Dad, now you're not speaking so nice to Mom. It's good for you kids to know how your dad should act. And then for you boys, for example, you boys are growing up fast, getting taller every week, it seems. What about when you get married someday? How are you to conduct yourselves? Well, the Bible tells how you are to conduct yourself as a married man someday, the Lord willing. Now, why does the Apostle Peter spend so much time with the Christian wife and then one verse with the Christian man? Well, one reason is this. If you were a Christian woman in those days, and Peter, you see, addresses the situation where you're a, you're a woman, you're a Gentile, you grew up worshiping idols, and now through the grace of God, you've been converted and you've become a Christian, but your husband is not. He still goes to the temples and worships Artemis or Jupiter or these other gods. Well, that was a tough situation. Now, you see, it was easier in those days if you were the man, the husband, and God saved you and your wife still was a pagan worshiping idols. The situation would be much easier for the husband. In fact, the husband, as the head of the home, could even say, no idols allowed in the house. But it would be far more difficult for the Christian woman who is married to a pagan husband. So the Apostle Peter gives a lot of good advice about how, through her loving interaction with her lost husband, she can gain him to Christ. Now, what Peter writes here, though, to the Christian husband also is connected to that. If a Christian husband would happen to be married to a pagan woman, guess what? Guess how he can win her to Christ? By dwelling with her, according to knowledge, as a weaker vessel. That's how he would be a powerful witness, and God could use the husband to save his wife. Now, our text begins in verse 7 with the word likewise. And the question is, what does the word likewise mean there? you look back to chapter 3, verse 1, you'll see that he also uses the word likewise there. When he says likewise wives, now he says likewise husbands. Well, here Peter is showing that he is addressing a new class of people. Earlier on in this context, we find that 
you something to say to uh, citizens of the empire. What is our calling with respect to President Biden to show honor to him? You have something to say to employees, show um, obedience to your employers. And then he has something to say to wives. He says, wives, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. And now that word likewise signals that he has something to say to you men, me, as a husband, too. Now, who is writing this? It's good for us to be reminded who is inspired to write this. A married man, that's the point. Peter is a married man. Of course, the Roman Catholic Church has claimed that, you know, that popes and priests cannot marry, and they even claim that Peter was the first pope. But the reality is that Peter was a married man. We know that from the gospel accounts when Jesus healed the mother-in-law of Simon Peter. And how could Simon Peter have a mother-in-law except for the fact that he was married? And then what does Paul later on say? The Apostle Paul later on, when he writes to the Corinthians about how he could have freedom to marry, just like he says other apostles do. He says, "I, I have the right to get married and lead about a wife. And guess who he mentions? Cephas. Yeah, that's Peter. That's the Aramaic way of saying the word Peter. And so he says, well, I have a right to get married just like Peter. Peter takes his wife around with him, and I could do the same thing. So Peter is a married man. So here we have a married man, a married Christian man, a married apostle exhorting us by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And the topic of what he says here is this. Christian husbands, you are to dwell with your wife according to knowledge. We're going to talk about the meaning of that and then the reason why you must do that, and then finally, the incentive that Peter provides. So the Apostle Peter begins, he says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Now our translation here with the word live doesn't quite give you a clue into what's going on in the Greek text here. Sometimes I tell my students that it's, it's like you know, reading your Bible in English is kind of, and sometimes like reading, uh, watching a black and white TV, and then when you peek at the Greek text, it's like you get color. There's more clarity. Well, what you discover here is that the word that Peter uses is a word for house. Yes, it's a word for house. It's a word for a dwelling. So he says, likewise, husbands, dwell with, he says. Live with, our translation gives, because you live with someone you dwell with in your house. And so he says, and that's really the first command here, husbands, you are to dwell with your wife. You're to live with her. Now, at times, for example, yes, it can be a necessary evil that for a short period of time, a husband and wife can be separated from each other. But notice the command of Scripture, husband, you are to dwell with your wife. You're to live with her. You're to be present. He's talking about the total marital relationship. He says, be with your wife. Be with her physically. Be with her spiritually. Be with her socially. Talk with her. Live your life with her. The basic to dwelling with your wife, then, is that you spend time with her. Husband, you need to talk to your wife. You need to communicate with your wife. You can't say, well, I'm home. There you sit on your phone. 
or you're home and you're just watching TV. In the olden days, they would say, well, the husband just comes home and reads the newspaper. No, dwelling with your wife means that you're communicating with her. You're enjoying life with her. It means you're not surfing the Internet all the time. You're not coming home, and so you think you always have more work to be done, so you don't have time to dwell with her, or God forbid that you're an, an alcoholic haze. You're to dwell with your wife. You need to be home. Now, it is true that the language here, live with your wife, is actually a, um, a participle, a Greek participle. We say participles with ing words, like dwelling or living. So technically, you could say, when you look at the text, it literally says, likewise, husbands, living with your wives in an understanding way. And you might say, well... Pastor Brahma, we actually don't have an exhortation here. No, it is an exhortation. This actually is a command. Sometimes in the Bible you have participles like this that carry the force of an exhortation, like you do in the Great Commission. Literally, it says, going, make disciples of the nations. But really, the implication is, no, go. Do go out and then make disciples of the nations. And here we have that here, too. In this whole context, we have a context of exhortations. We have commands going on. For example, look back to verse 17. Honor everyone. Isn't that striking here? Honor everyone in the congregation. Older members, honor the young children. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Notice this command that comes to us. Love each other. Love these people around you. They're your brothers and your sisters. Fear God comes the command. We need to have this deep reverence for the God who speaks to us in the sacred scriptures. Honor the emperor. Honor those in positions of authority. We have all these commands being given. Servants are told to obey their masters. Wives are told, be subject to your own husbands. So in this context, what we have is we do have a gentle exhortation. We have a command. This is a command. Husbands, dwell with your wife. In the present tense, which implies this is something you need to keep on doing. Keep dwelling with your wife. Live with her. Communicate with her. And then Peter tells you how you are to dwell with your wife. He says you are to dwell with your wife according to knowledge. You are to dwell with her in an understanding way. Now that involves a number of things. One, it means that you become a student of your wife. You understand her. I'd ask you, well, what are some of the fears that your wife has? Do you know? And how do her fears affect how she acts? What are your wife's hopes? What, what are her emotional moods? How does she think? How does she deal with conflict? Someone said, ignorance is dangerous in any area of life, but it's especially dangerous in marriage. You need to be considerate of your wife. Now, what if your wife graded you today? I ask, who in the congregation is a perfect husband? Is there any man who would dare raise his hand and say, yes, I am God's gift to women. I'm the perfect husband. 
Now, were you considerate this week with your wife? Or did you just, you know, fly off the handle about every dumb little thing, get upset about stupid things? If your wife graded you this week on how much you acted, understanding her, what would she say? But that knowledge that Peter is talking about also includes Christian knowledge. It involves knowledge of what God's will is for you as a husband and what the whole marriage relationship is all about. Are you living with your wife according to knowledge, understanding that this is Christian knowledge? What is the Bible? What does Christ say about how a husband is to conduct himself? Christ has a lot to say, for example. He says, husband, love your wife. The Bible says you need to love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. That refers to suffering, self-denial. Did your wife tell you to do something this week that was hard, difficult, you were tired, you really didn't want to do? How did you respond? So the scripture knowledge is, well, what does the Bible teach about love? What does it teach about the husband's Role as a leader of the home, a spiritual leader leading his family in the study of the sacred scriptures. Living your wife with your wife according to knowledge means that you know what God's word says about your calling, for example, to be one who leads your, your wife and your kids in the reading of the sacred scriptures. According to knowledge means too that the grace that God has showed to you at the cross impacts how you interact with your wife. You understand that you know that God has showed you great grace because of the bitter sufferings of Christ. Therefore, guess what you should do? You should, you haven't been forgiven. You should have to forgive your husband. I don't care if your wife came to you and said, I Are you freely, happily forgiving? Husband, sorry to have to tell you, but I've learned it from experience. You're not always right. God has given you your wife as a helpmate, and he has given to her many gifts and graces and wisdom and knowledge and understanding. And so dealing with your wife according to knowledge means that you respect and you affirm the gifts and wisdom God has given to her. There is one bridegroom who is always right, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. But men, you are not Jesus. You're not perfect. You need to dwell with your wife according to knowledge, which means that you learn from her. So you need to be considerate of your wife's feelings. Also, you need to have a knowledge of God's good intention for the whole married state. Why did God create the institution of marriage? Why did he create Eve out of the rib of Adam and then give her to him? What is his purpose in marriage? Yes, it is to raise up godly seed. It's also for the husband and wife to enjoy each other, to enjoy the act of marriage. Husband, are you dealing with your wife according to knowledge? What the Bible says about how you love your wife. The Apostle Paul says the husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. 
Notice how the Bible says you are to glorify God in the act of marriage. What does that mean? You may not be watching pornography. No. What happens when men watch pornography? Well, they're not so interested in their wife. Paul says, do not deprive one another except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. No, as a husband, you have a calling to say, well, what is God's intention for marriage? That there be a one flesh union. And you can read the Song of Solomon and see how there's this beautiful oneness between a husband and wife and the enjoyment of each other and all the differences that exist between the sexes. As a husband, you love your wife because of her voice, because of her hair, because of her looks, her femininity, and that all triumphs in the act of marriage. And so, husband, you need to dwell with your wife according to scriptural knowledge and, and fulfill your marital duties. The Apostle Peter has more to say. He says, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. And then he goes on to describe what that all involves. He says, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. But notice he says, showing honor to your wife. Now, that kind of talk, kids, is unparalleled in Roman and Greek literature. You do not find in Roman or Greek literature that they talk about a man, a husband, honoring his wife. Notice how God exalts women here. God exalts wives. Yes, earlier we read that we are to honor everyone. Children, you're told, honor your father and your mother. And now notice what your dad is told. Your dad is told, honor your wife. Because it's technical. Peter, with great respect. Isn't it amazing how the Christian religion exalts women? Who are the first, first, very first witnesses of the Easter triumph of Jesus Christ? It wasn't men. It was first, well, there's, there's some issue about whether it was Mary Magdalene first or if it was the ladies first. But remember, there's two things that happen. These ladies come and they meet Jesus and they fall down and hold him by his feet. So Jesus appears first to ladies and then he surprises Mary Magdalene by the tomb, by saying her name. But remember, in, in Jewish custom, women could not even testify in court. Notice how Christ exalts women. He honors them. They are the first witnesses of the resurrection triumph. Here, Peter also honors women. He says, honor your wife. That's how you live with her according to knowledge. You honor her. Husband, don't. Don't mock your wife. Don't speak bad about her. Don't make jokes about her at her expense, that hurt her feelings. Honor her by how you talk to her, by the tone of your voice. Have you ever had it that your wife says to you, you talk to me in a way you would never talk to anybody else at church? Is your dad, just like you're to honor your mom, your dad is to honor your mom too. And your dad is also gonna, is there to make sure that you honor mom as well. 
Notice that the Christian father not only honors and respects his wife, he speaks well of her, but he also makes sure that the kids also show respect and honor to mom. So don't be partial to your mom. How did you talk to your wife this past week? Paul says in Colossians 3, verse 19, Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. John Calvin, 500 years ago, needed to struggle with the reality in Geneva. There were many issues in marriages. He said, Nothing destroys the friendship of life more than contempt, nor can we really love any but those whom we esteem, for love must be connected with respect. So Calvin's making the point, it's so important that husbands respect and esteem and honor their wives. And guess what that does involve? It involves recognizing the gifts and qualities and graces God has showered upon your wife so that you say with the writer in Proverbs, many daughters have done well, but you excel them all. Now that's honoring your wife. The Apostle Peter is very keen to give us reasons why we husbands must dwell with our wives and honor them, dwell with them according to knowledge and honor them. And the first reason is because of the vulnerability of it. The Apostle Peter says that your wife is a weaker vessel. He says, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. This is not woke. The Apostle Peter is not being woke here. Notice how he is distinguishing between the two different genders, the two different sexes, and he's saying one gender, one sex, is a weaker vessel. Both are vessels. Husbands don't get any big ideas here. Don't get proud because guess what? The Bible does use the language of vessels to refer to men too. And guess who it uses it to refer to? Men like me, preachers of the word. I'm called a clay vessel. What's the idea there? Well, a clay vessel is something very fragile and easily broken. Ministers are fragile, weak human beings. Yes, it's true we have in us the treasure of the gospel, but in ourselves we're weak and fragile. Now, notice how... Your wife is a weaker vessel. She is weaker than you. You're not so strong yourself either. I mean, if any of us think we're so strong, how strong are you emotionally? When it got to be about 8 o'clock on Thursday and Friday nights after you'd worked for a whole day, how much strength did you have left? But yet notice, Peter says that your wife is a weaker vessel. Now, that doesn't mean that she is intellectually inferior. In fact, you might find that your wife did better in school than you did. And she has a higher IQ than you do. It does not mean that she is morally inferior. In fact, Jesus shows us, I think, by how he has the ladies first to witness his resurrection, that they actually had had been the people, the disciples, who had shown the greatest love for the Messiah. Now let other religions play down and claim that women are intellectually inferior or morally inferior in Islam, for example, the status of women is, is in some sense unclear compared to the status of men. 
And remember the Proverbs 31 woman. She had a head for business, didn't she? Remember, she'd go and buy a field. How many of you husbands lately have let your wife go off and just buy a field and make some money? So notice, women can have a head for business too. But Peter says there are differences. There are biological differences. And Peter is talking about the fact that your wife is physically weaker than you are. And so she can be emotionally more fragile. You arm wrestle. But she probably can win. Therefore, the husband, you're called to shoulder the heavier burdens. You need to deal with your wife according to knowledge, which means if there's hard things to be done physically, heavy things to lift, you do the work. That your wife is a weaker vessel means that it is your calling to protect her. Sometimes I run across people who are pacifists, and they say, you know, no, you should never, for example, defend your country. But then they also say you also should not defend yourself. No, no the Bible everywhere talks about the calling of, of men. Husbands, your calling is to protect your family, protect your wife. Someone would try to assault them. It's your job to protect them because your wife is a weaker vessel. Don't leave her to fight. You need to protect your wife. Your calling is to be the provider for your wife. The Bible talks about how the wives are to be keepers of the home. Your job is to be a breadwinner. Work hard. Provide for your wife. One commentator says the husband should treat his wife like an expensive, beautiful, fragile vase, which is a precious treasure. among the Taliban, for example, guess what they did this past week? They do not have a positive, rosy view of women. They just closed down the schools for girls in Afghanistan. If you're older than 12, you can no longer go to school. So grade 7 to 12, all canceled for the foreseeable future. Among pagans, they shamefully lower the status of women. The rights are reduced. Heavy loads are placed upon them. And then the and then meet men treat women like they're playthings. They're almost like slaves. Notice how the whole Christian approach is radically different. Peter says, no, dwell with your wife according to knowledge as a weaker vessel, guarding her, protecting her, protecting her emotionally, protecting her physically. Your job is, yes, to be head of the home. Yes, be a spiritual leader. But you need to be like Christ. What did Christ say? Christ said, I didn't come into this world to be served by other people. No, instead he washes the disciples' feet. He, he came to serve. Husband, that's what Christ calls you to do, to serve your wife. To use your strength, your emotional strength, your physical strength, to serve her, to assist her. Because you aren't competitive. God has given you a wife so that together with you, the two of you together might serve him. And so one reason you need to dwell with your wife according to knowledge is that she is a weaker vessel. The second reason, and I don't think it impacts us as much as it would have impacted people in the first century, is that Peter says you need to deal with your wife, live with her in an understanding way, since he says they are heirs with you of the grace of life. He says your wife is a co-heir with you of the grace of life. Now, I think back in ancient times, sometimes women couldn't even inherit things. There have been all kinds of struggles throughout history for women to have the right to inherit things even. There have been certain religions, yes, where 
Men seem to be the top dogs, the women, well, their role is not so clear. Notice how the Christian faith says, no, husband and wife, you and your wife, you're co-heirs. That your heirs, by the way, is a reminder that you are giving, being given something as a free gift. You know, when your dad and mom passed away and you inherit something, it's not like you earned it. It's a gift that you receive from your departed parents. It's a free gift. So the salvation that we have also is an inheritance. It's a free gift from our Heavenly Father. But you and your wife are co-heirs. You receive the same gift. It's not like, you know, let's say that in a certain society, you know, a man can inherit, like, gets a lot of stuff, and the wife gets mistreated, and she only inherits a little. No, you're co-heirs. You have received the same inheritance. And it's very striking how he talks about this inheritance. You're co-heirs of the grace of life. There, what he's talking about, the grace that is life. This is what we call eternal life. Now, sometimes when we think of eternal life, we think that's something only future. No, already now we have eternal life. Having been born again from above, you have new life. You're a new man in Christ. You have eternal life already, and you will never perish. We have already eternal life. That involves us having been forgiven of all of our sins. Husbands, your wife has also been forgiven of all her sins, too. She also has been born again. She also has been filled with the Spirit. She also is being sanctified, changed and transformed, just like you are. She has been declared innocent, just like you. She is an heir of eternal life. She will inherit the earth, just like you. She will reign with Christ, just like you. Yes, the Bible teaches that, that we will reign kings and queens with Christ. You will reign, your wife will reign too. You won't have a higher status than she. No, you are co-heirs. You will reign together in the new world. This refers not only to the grace of life now, but also the grace of the future eschatological life in the world to come. And it's all a gift. We're, we're co-heirs. Notice Peter is emphasizing our essential equality. That's what the Bible is teaching when it says there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Notice there's this essential equality between husband and wife. Now I realize that people take that passage I just quoted and they use it to support women preachers, for example. But that's not the point of the passage. It's talking about our essential equality. It doesn't do away with our ethnicity, for example. Doesn't deal when we're saved, it doesn't mean that we stop being male or female or something like that, but there's essential equality. Just like within the Godhead, there is an essential quality between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The Father is eternal, the Son is eternal, the Holy Spirit is eternal. The Father is omnipotent, the Son is omnipotent, the Holy Spirit is omnipotent. There's this essential equality, yet there's also a functional hierarchy. That is, the Father sends his Son into the world, and the Son does, and does what the Father has sent him to do. He obeys him, just like we have this functional hierarchy here in our whole Bible text here. How, for example, employees are to submit to the authority of their employer. Wives are to submit to the authority of their husband. But the, the great point Peter's making is this essential equality between you and your wife. So you may not look down on her as inferior in status. No, you are 
co-equal in, in value to God. That brings us to the incentive. What's the incentive for you then, husband, dwelling with your wife according to knowledge as a weaker vessel? What's the incentive? Well, the first one is one that really should almost terrify us, but I'm afraid doesn't terrify us like it ought to be. But Peter sends out a very strong warning here. He's saying, husband, dad, if you're being mean to your wife, God will not answer your prayers. He says this, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Now, I came across one commentary. He said, all this means is that if you're mean to your wife, you won't be praying together. Well, it's true that if you're being mean to your wife, you're probably not in the right state of mind. You're probably not doing a lot of praying like you should be doing. And you're probably not going to have warm fuzzies as you pray together as you go to sleep at night. But that's not the point here. We have a warning. Peter says, if you're mean to your wife, God isn't going to answer your prayers. Now, I know there's the danger that a Christian man might say, well, that's no biggie, because we don't value prayer like we should. But here's the point. If you're mistreating your wife, and you're just running a rough shot over her emotionally, and you're not dwelling with her according to knowledge, you're not showing a loving concern for her and trying to build her up, and then you go to God and you say, God, I need help with something. So you want grace from God, but you're mean to your wife. Peter says, no. Your prayers will be hindered. What does he mean by that? He means your prayers will meet a barrier. The barrier of an angry God. A God who's the vindicator of covenant wives. And so your Petitions will not reach their destination, the throne of grace. No, if you're going to mistreat your wife and then go to God and now you need help so bad, God's going to say no. That's a clear point. There's a clear conditional statement implied here. If you do not dwell with your wife according to knowledge, then your prayers will be hindered and God will not hear your prayers, whether your personal prayers or your family prayers. So that's a strong warning. Now, this isn't the only place in the Bible that we find that when there are relational disturbances between saints, that somehow that also damages their relationship with God. For example, remember the Bible says that if you have something against someone, you know, before you even bring your offerings and give them to the Lord, you know, go and get reconciled with your neighbor. Notice how your relationship with your wife, how you're treating your wife will have an impact on your relationship with God. In plain English, you can't love God without loving your wife. You say, yes, I love God. I, like, I love Christ. Well, then guess what you need to be doing? Loving your wife, dwelling with her according to knowledge. John Calvin, he said, the husband is insane, he says. He's insane who willfully closes his way to the throne of grace. This is how Calvin puts it. He says, for we are more than insane if we knowingly and willingly close up the way to God's presence by prayer, since this is in the only asylum of our salvation. 
Yeah, we are insane. What a crazy situation that is. How we need to have God hear our prayers. Now, I realize we don't always think that way. We think, well, we're doing pretty good. We're getting by. And we don't perceive that, no, we are just dependent children. We're like little children, dependent creatures. who need to say, oh, Father, help. The traditional Reformed form for marriage begins in a sort of surprising way. I've read it at marriage ceremonies, and in the traditional form, you might say, hey, the first words kind of throw a little, uh, a little uh, I don't know, a blanket over the, uh, the, the joy of a marriage festivity. This is how it begins. Whereas married persons are generally, and by reason of sin, subject to many troubles and afflictions. That's how it begins. Here you are at a wedding, you're celebrating this happy event, and that's, those were the first words in the traditional Reformed marriage form. Whereas married persons are generally, and by reason of sin, subject to many troubles and afflictions. What's the point here? Well, Dad, Father, you know that, yes, in your married life, with your children, you have, yes, you have faced many burdens and many challenges. And guess what that means? You have many needs you need to bring to the Lord. There are many concerns. So don't be mean to your wife so that the Lord closes heaven to your prayers. And if you say, well, I don't really care. I don't really care. Well, then you're in terrible rebellion against God, too. You need to repent. But notice the positive thing that's implied here in the way of dealing your wife in a kind way. Where can they be in a student of her, understanding her, truly helping her to build up her up in the Christian faith so that she can serve the Lord more faithfully? Guess what? Then, in that way of going to the Lord with your burdens and your prayers and your petitions, for your wife, for the kids, for the grandkids, guess what? Heaven is open. Your Heavenly Father welcomes you into His presence. And you, when you bring Him needs and you pray according to His will, guess what? God showers those blessings upon you. When you say, God, grant me wisdom to deal with my wife. You can be sure of this, as James tells us. If you pray in faith, God will shower you with wisdom. If you say, God, help me to love my wife more. Guess what? It's not like God says, well, I'm not sure if I want to give you any of that grace. No, he will, and he will give it to you generously. Then you will have an open channel to the throne of God. Then you can lay both of your hands up on the throne of grace, and you can know that in the name of Jesus Christ, God the Father will bless you and your family. And the last thing I simply want to say this is the last incentive for you husbands dwelling with your wife according to knowledge is that you want to be like Jesus. Christian husband, why do you exist? Why does anything exist in the universe? Why do wicked husbands exist? Well, the Bible tells us all things were made by Christ and for Christ. And you're not a wicked husband. You are a regenerated child of God. Why is it that you have been saved? Why has God changed you and transformed you so that by God's grace, you are a repentant husband, trying to love your wife, trying to serve her? Well, for the glory of his grace, for the glory of Christ. And so what is the great thing in your life? That you would give honor to Christ 
by modeling him, by reflecting him, so that when people see you and your kids see you and how you actually do life, they say, that's what Jesus is like. Jesus loves his bride. He sacrificed for her. He protects her. He guards her from all the dangers that she faces. He provides for all of her needs. And then you see you are a picture of Christ. And what is the whole point of your marriage? You might be married 20 years. You might be married 30 years. You might even be married 50 years. What's the whole point of your 50-year marriage? Well, that your momentary marriage might be a picture of Christ and his marriage to his bride, an eternal marriage. And your marriage exists for the glory of Jesus. So love your wife. Dwell with her according to knowledge as a weaker vessel. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the grace that you pour out upon covenant husbands and wives. And where we fall short, we pray for even greater grace so that there would be repentance and transformation and change. Where there are marriages where there is struggle, they're struggling, we pray, O oh God, for powerful grace and repentant hearts. And may all of us as husbands in this coming week be more thoughtful and more sensitive and more loving towards our wives. And may we also show a spiritual leadership that helps them to follow Jesus Christ better as they, in pilgrimage with us, walk with our children towards that heavenly city, the celestial city, the new Jerusalem. Hear this prayer.